again, as God has been dealing with me this past week, he continues to reveal himself. And one of the things that I've been dealing with lately is the fact that those who profess a belief and trust in Jesus Christ are living as though they haven't been set free. Still under the the weight and the bondage of this world. But Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So some of us just need a, a reminder that you've been set free. That you've been set free to live a life that is holy and acceptable to him. You've been set free because you have real freedom. I'm reminded of the story in 1969, Coca-Cola embarked upon a marketing campaign that was uh, to set itself apart from all the competitors in the market. And this campaign was based upon a single phrase that was aimed at invoking thoughts and, and, uh, of longevity and, and stability. And this, 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 this one phrase will quickly remind the public that Coca-Cola was the originator in a market that was quickly filling up with competitors. And unlike most of their competitors, see, Coca-Cola has something going for them already. See, they began in those local pharmacies on, on the block, where they would make the, the pop for you right there in the syrup, mix it right in front of your face. And, and over the years, they began to get a following because of their product. Now, with the ability to back up their statement, Coca-Cola released this campaign slogan called Coca-Cola, it's the real thing. Y'all remember that? It's the real thing. See, and though simple to quote, these words rank powerfully with consumers and it keeps Coca-Cola at the forefront of the industry. See, their, their competitors may be imitators. See, but the thing with Coca-Cola, their history and their special formula has given them the right to make such, such a declaration. It's the real thing. And as we pause a moment to consider our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the, the freedom that he brings, my question to you this morning is, do you have the real thing? Do you hold on to the true freedom that was purchased at Calvary's cross, or are you holding on to something fake? In this sin-driven human experience, all types of freedom are being marketed to us and pushed on us as this is the freedom that you need. So whether it's freedom from your possessions, your cars, your houses, whether it's freedom found in pleasure, or whether it's freedom found in self-confidence, I can do this all by myself. See, many say that they are free, but they're still in bondage to sin. And, and the world is marketing its version of freedom to the masses, but some 2,000 years ago, real freedom was provided to all who would call upon the name of Jesus. And this freedom's heritage is found in the beginnings of that special formula, that the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, let us examine together the, the ingredients of our faith to determine if we have real freedom or not. Because freedom found in Jesus is the real thing. Turn with me in your Bibles to John, the eighth chapter. John, the 
John the 8th chapter, and we will begin reading with verse 31 to 36. I am reading from the New American Standard Translation. And this morning, I want to speak to you about real freedom, because some freedoms just ain't real. John the 8th chapter, beginning with verse 31, and it says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Hold on to that. Make sure you hold on to that. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So just to set the context for a moment of what's really taking place. In the previous scriptures, Jesus has been speaking to the religious folk about who he is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He was sent from the Father. His Father is God. He's explaining and elaborating his purpose and why he has come, who he is. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, he was speaking with the religious community. Uh, we call them church folks. Jesus was speaking to the church folks. Maybe even a setting where they was in the church. Having service. And Jesus comes in and imparts upon them just who he is. He is the Messiah. And within this passage of scripture, Jesus is dealing directly with the understanding the notion of real freedom. It, it, notice in verse 30, he's talking about himself. And in verse 30, it says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. There was those who heard what he was saying and said, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I'm going to follow you. Yeah, I, I'm going to get aboard this wagon. Because it looks like it's going somewhere. So they're getting aboard this wagon. But the question was, is, was it real belief? Was this real faith? Was it real submission? See, and so the first point that we need to look at, the first ingredient that we need to understand this morning is <coughs> real freedom requires discipleship. In order to be free, you've got to be a disciple. There's no freedom apart from Christ. Verse 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who have believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, the apostle John reports for, for us that there were some Jews in the audience who believed the words of Jesus. See, but becoming a disciple takes more than just saying you believe. You must live like you believe. You must follow like you believe. And understand this, when, when the Bible talks about disciples and discipleship, it, it's not talking, you, talking discipleship like we know discipleship. 
See, when we, matter of fact, we don't even call ourselves disciples. We may use the words discipleship training. We need a discipleship program. But we've forgotten that if we follow Christ, we're disciples. And to be a disciple was a big deal still here in the Bible, in the text. It wasn't something that you just play with. Yes, I'm a disciple. I still do what I want to do. Go where I want to go. Say what I want to say. All of that. But I'm a disciple. That wasn't, that wasn't here in the text. To be a disciple in biblical times meant that you would become a disciple of a rabbi. You would devote your entire lives to the observation and obedience to the master. What they heard the rabbi say, they would say. Where the rabbi went, they would go. They wanted to know everything that the rabbi did. And actually, it was so deep, they would follow the rabbi in the bathroom just to see if he had something to say to God while he was in there. They wanted to know everything they could. A disciple would walk and talk everything that was given to them. So the question would be, one would not be considered a disciple if they did not follow the rabbi, would they? So Jesus explains here in the text that real discipleship leads to action. See, the measure of any disciple is whether or not they hold on to the master's teachings. And Jesus is just a paraphrase of what he was saying. He was saying to the crowd, you say you believe in me. And in the words that I have declared, but only those who hear what I say and continually live by what I say are my followers. In other words, your future loyalty to my teachings will prove the reality of your present profession. The future reality of you holding on to what you've been taught is a reflection of your present faith. See, a lot of us, we want to have present faith, but we don't want to live it out this way. We want to have a present worship experience, but come Monday, we don't want to live it out that way. Matter of fact, we have a worship experience, and we may even want to argue with someone when they cut us off going out the parking lot. We don't want to live it out. But Jesus is saying, if you are my disciples, you're going to live this out. Answer this question for me. What good is a disciple who doesn't follow their master? What good is a disciple who doesn't want to spend time with his master? It was one thing for them to declare verbally that they were devoted to God, but quite another thing to live it out. A profession of belief is void of action. A, a, a profession of belief void of action is meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. See, what I believe happened was they was fired up. They seen this man teaching a, a new word in a new way with a, a, with a new umph and a new authority. And, they, and it, it was going against what the current religion was saying. And, and they, they got excited like, oh, man, he got a new word for us. He got a new revelation. He got a, a new way of walking, a, a new way of talking. So they, they, they got on board because they were fired up. See, but Jesus said, don't get on board because you're, you're fired up. Get on board because you believe what I say. And we may look at the text and like, yeah, they probably were fired up. They didn't know what they was doing. But we get fired up all the time, don't we? And I ain't gonna, we don't even get fired up in church. I'm talking about you get with your homeboys and homegirls. It's about to be New Year's Eve. And y'all talking, we're going to work out this year. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to eat right. We're going to diet right. 
And all of a sudden, you, you fired up, slapping high fives. Girl, when we go to Jamaica this summer, I'm going to wear my bathing suit. I'm going to look good. You're fired up. You're talking the talk. But as soon as you have to begin walking inside, when you're walking every day, when you're waking up early, when you're eating right, I'm talking about when you're measuring what you're getting, and you put it on the scale, yeah, that's three ounces here and four ounces here. When you're, when you're walking it out, that's devotion. See, because when you're fired up, that would only keep you for so long. Because the reality of life hits you in the face. It smacks you in the face and say, wake up. You know, you was talking to talk, can you walk the walk? And I believe that they were excited about this new teaching. And they say, I I'm going, I'm getting on that bandwagon. I'm going. Jesus is saying to us, it's not enough for one to say they believe, but they must be walking with him as well. See, because a genuine believer holds fast and, obey, and obeys and practices Jesus' teaching. A genuine believer is, is free from the word of God, from discipleship. That's how we're set free. Turn, turn with me to Luke, the ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter, Starting with verse 23. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He wasn't just talking to everybody. He's talking to his disciples here. And he says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his, himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If I say I'm a disciple, Jesus has placed a certain expectations on us. If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You got to do something. You can't just come as you are. You got to deny yourself. Pick up that cross daily and follow me. There's action to discipleship. There's action to a Christian lifestyle. It's action to a believer's life. There's actions that we need to be holding fast to. And those who continue to live, who continually live by this word of God experience that real freedom. Because when you lose your life for Christ, he carries the burdens. He carries the weights. He carries the problems. He carries the issues. He carries the drama. When you lose your life for Christ, you gain the whole world. There's freedom in knowing Jesus and trusting and obeying him. A byproduct of discipleship is deliverance by the truth. See, because John 7, 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This word of God is truth. And when he says that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? See, this Jesus, this Messiah, he is the living truth. And once you're a disciple of Christ, the truth of whom he is will set you free. The truth of whom he is will let you go because the word of God shines brightly upon the hearts of, of man 
exposing the lies of Satan and replacing them with the truth of God. A perfect illustration is, I deal with young people all the time, and they have big problems with self-esteem and self-image. And people always put it upon them how they think they should look and how they think they should behave and what they should be wearing. And all of a sudden, a, a, a young person, even an older person, can't can become depressed because they don't look like everybody else. They don't smell like everybody else. And they, now they have a, a problem with how they look and they want to change themselves. See, but that's a lot from Satan. When, when Satan is upon you and oppressing you, he want to kick you while you're down. But the light of God, the word of God, shines into the situation. And he says something like, for you for my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. See, when the word of God speaks to your situation, it repels the lies of Satan and the lies of this world. You're in relationship after relationship. You're trying to figure out why you just can't keep a man, or you can't keep a woman, and, and, and you're dealing with rejection on the job. Rejection at church. Rejection by your family. Rejection by all those you hold dear. And Satan begins to oppress you. And the lies of this world begin to come in like, don't nobody want you. Don't nobody need you. You just need to kill yourself. Just get it over with. Just get it over with because don't nobody love you. And then the light of God begins to shine into the situation. And the word begins to say that who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God shines brightly into your situation. When you become a disciple, the truth of Christ is what sets you free. Dealing with my youth, I'm always challenging them to make sure they learn what they're supposed to be learning in school. So I threw it out there. I said, what is photosynthesis? And they sat there for a minute. I said, come on, y'all know this. And they actually surprised me. The, the whole process of when light hits a plant, and a plant begins to convert carbon dioxide to oxygen. See, when the, when the light from the sun hits the plant, a chemical reaction begins to take place in that plant. And it takes in the carbon dioxide and it's something that will kill you if you get too much of it. And it, and it, it changes that carbon dioxide and begin to pr produce that, that life-sustaining element of oxygen. See that when the light shines on it, it converts the bad into something that's good. And as Christians, when the light of God, when the word of God begins to shine in on your situation, those lies that Satan's been telling you, you're not good enough, you, you won't do nothing, you won't make nothing of yourself, or you just do what you want to do. It takes those lies and begins to convert it to that life-giving substance that's, that's found in joy where it was, it was killing you before, and now it's giving you life. It was stealing your peace before, but now you have joy. And you were defeated before it, but now you have victory because the word of God shines bright. And it's converting when a Christian gets a hold of the word of God, a, a chemical reaction takes place in your soul. And now I got joy. 
I got victory. I got dependence on Christ. I got salvation. The word of God changes you from the inside out. You once were dying, but now you're alive because of what God has said, because he said it. His promises. We can go on and on, but the word of God sets a man free from the lies of this world. This real freedom only comes from those who are disciples of Jesus. Real freedom requires discipleship. Are you really free? And I want you to notice this also, the response by the crowd. Watch this response. It's not a response of gratitude. You, you, you would think that they would be thankful to Jesus for what he's doing in their life. He's setting them free. You would think that they would be appreciative. You know how we, how we do with our children sometimes? We give them something. That unappreciative, <laughs> I, done, I done took them here, I done, I done did all this. And they say, what? You know how they are sometimes, but the, the religious folk was acting just like that. Yeah. Instead of having gratitude, they took offense to what Jesus was saying. Our second ingredient for real freedom is humility. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? When confronted with the truth of their situation, those emotions that they just had quickly faded away. Because now Jesus was placing some expectations on their faith. He was expecting something to take place. But now all they say is, we were Abraham. We're, we're not slaves, we're free. Jesus is giving them this information the keys to freedom is in their hand. And the crowd simply responds with that age-old rebuttal. Nuh-uh. <laughs> Nuh-uh. We, we're not slaves. You know, the worst kind of bondage is where the prisoner doesn't even recognize that they're in chains. And confronted with their truth, they quickly abandoned what God said and chose pride. And the pride began to harden their heart where they couldn't receive the word of God. When confronted with the truth, they got defensive. Because truth be told, if, if we look back at the Old Testament just a little bit, we know that they were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt and the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. And even at that moment, they were under Roman occupation. How could they say they were just free? Nuh-uh. When confronted with the truth, they missed the whole point. Because Jesus was speaking, giving them the living word, and they heard something that they, they didn't want to hear, so they stopped listening. When confronted with the truth, they chose pride rather than humility. See, the pain of truth led to rejection and not repentance. See, and once again, it's easy to look at the text and say, man, they dumb. That's Jesus talking to you. Don't you realize who he is? But so often we respond the same way to the truth. With pride and not humility. Someone comes up to you and says, you know what, you offended me. Nuh-uh. 
you, you know, you, you really hurt my feelings the other day. No, I didn't. You, 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 you just shouldn't act like that. You, you, you stop acting like that. Act like what? We, when confronted with the truth, we don't want to hear it. When confronted with the truth, we get defensive. When confronted with the truth, we miss the point. They're trying to speak life into you. Now, son, now, daughter, you need to get good grades because you want to open up opportunities. Yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. We're speaking life. When confronted with the truth, we choose pride rather than humility. We don't, we, we don't want to put the flesh down and hear what they have to say. When confronted with the expectations of being named with Christ, we get angry. This is a point for Christians that we must take away. There are certain expectations that comes with the title. If you say you know Jesus, there's just certain things that you should or shouldn't be doing. See, back, back, back when I was in college, back in the, not too long ago, in the 90s, but I'm, I'm trying to walk with the Lord, uh, my, my God brother and I. And one day we were in the gym lifting weights and we was talking about things and we had been there a while and classes had just started that week. So all of a sudden, you know that first week, what, what happened on the college campus the first week? The icebreaker, come on now, the icebreaker. Yeah, college students know. The icebreaker, that first party where everybody's going to be there. And you get to see the new freshmen as they come in. Everyone is going to be there. We began to talk about the icebreaker. I said, man, I'm about to go. To, I'm going to icebreakers. I'm, I'm from Detroit. And we got this dance called the JIT. So I, I said, I'm a JIT. I'm going to tear it up. I'm going to be on a dance floor. And he like, he like, come on, Nate. No, but serious. Nah, you, you shouldn't be going there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everyone's going to be there. He's like, no, Nate. We're Christians, man, and we need to let some of those things go. Because all they, they're going to be doing foolishness, and you don't need to be with that. I immediately got angry. I didn't get angry because of the advice. I didn't get angry because of the word. I didn't even get angry because he was right. I got angry because he pulled my Christian card. I got angry. He pulled my Christian card. And, and he said all that to say, Nate, if you're a Christian, there's certain expectations that should be upon you. And, and there's certain places that you just shouldn't be. But instead of receiving that with love, I got angry. But praise be to God, he wasn't finished with me yet. And he brought me through to see the truth of the situation. But guess what I had to get rid of? Pride. Pride. We must realize that freedom that we hope for in Christ is found in surrendering our will to him. A trade of our will for his. Our mind for his. Our heart for his. A change needs to take place. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A change needs to take place. If you want to be free in Christ, you need to have humility. See, but there were those in the crowd, they believed Jesus when he said he was the truth. 
but they were offended when he told them the power that Tufa had in their lives. Real freedom requires humility. Are you really free? Real freedom requires discipleship. Real freedom requires humility. Lastly, this last ingredient, ingredient, real freedom requires a real pardon. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. truth that Jesus was laying out for them for all those in the crowd that though you may be welcome in the house for now only the family gets to stay what's the application though you may come to church right now though you may name you may profess belief now though you may come and though we may welcome you in now there's going to be the day when only believers will get to go to glory See, only the son gets to stay. See, unbelievers get the blessings of the son. They get the blessings of the rain. They get the blessings of the grass and the, the oxygen. They get the blessings of the birds. They get the blessings of the food. They get the, the blessings of the water. But there's going to be a day when unbelievers are going to be cast aside and say, now you'll enjoy the blessings for a moment, but you're not a child of God. Only my children get to go with me. Only the children of God. But these Jews were counting on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. That they were going to receive the promise. But what they were missing, that only those free from bondage and sin are actually the children of Abraham. God is dealing with everyone. Are you a child or not? But to as many as received him, but to as many as received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Only those who actually took that step of faith. You know, I praise God for my father. Honestly, I, I don't know a, a more godlier man. I love my father with all my heart. My father was the, the first of a, 11 children to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And once Jesus rescued him, he ran back to his entire family, began sharing Jesus. And I can say, praise God, more than half of his, his brothers and sisters know Christ. So I got this big Christian family back home. And God was dealing with him, and he went into ministry, and he began to preach and teach the word of God. And, and he, he was doing all this serving God. And guess what happened? Now God began to bless him. He began to bless him with the family, bless him with the home. Bless him with uh, all that he needed for day-to-day -day sustenance. And, and as part of my father's blessing, I was blessed too. Amen. And part of his blessing, my sister was blessed too. Because of his faithfulness, my grandchildren are blessed. Because of his faithfulness, my, my wife is blessed. Because of his faithfulness, I, there's going to be a generation of benches that will be blessed. But guess what? I benefit from the blessing but I can't benefit from his salvation. What does that mean? The, the, the Jews were benefiting from the blessings of Abraham and all that God had promised him, but until they know Jesus for themselves, 
It wouldn't mean a thing. They were benefiting from the blessings, but they didn't know Jesus. And here in churches, we, we see families benefiting from grandma and grandfather who was faithful in their word. Families benefiting from mother and father because they were faithful in the word. And all of a sudden, we take advantage of the blessings, step out and want to do our own thing and wonder why we keep knocking up our head against the wall. He's drawing you individually. Because individually, we have to give an account. Only those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior will be children of God. By him alone can we experience freedom. Not an ordinary, not a temporary, but a permanent freedom. Freedom indeed. Indeed. Because in our own strength, we're unable to escape sin. We're unable to free ourselves from slavery. Sin is a, is, is a slavery that you cannot escape from. Someone must step in and do something. Someone has to do something to rescue us from our condition. A few, about a month ago, reading the news, and I saw that horrible attack of that young lady in Seattle on videotape where she was there all by herself. And a group of girls just jumped on her and began to beat her and to steal all her possessions while the security guards stood around. And no one did anything to help her. And I found myself saying, someone got to do something. Someone needs to do something. Someone needs to help that child as she's on the ground. She's on the ground being robbed of her joy, being robbed of her strength. Someone's got to do something. And then God began to speak to my heart. He said, I did the same thing for you. When I saw you in the muck and the mire, when I saw you broken down and beat down, when your victory was being stolen, someone had to do something, and I did. I sent my only begotten son to die upon the cross for your sin. Someone did something for us. Turn with me to John, the 19th chapter. John, the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 28. Here we find the crucifixion. Somebody did something. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of thistle and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. See, somebody did something. It is finished. See, in the Greek, this, this, this phrase is actually one word. It's not three words. In, in the Greek, it's tetelestai. And tetelestai is in the perfect tense, which describes an, an action that took place in the past with the results of the action continuing to the present. So somebody did something in the past. That's always happening into the future. So not only that, this tetelestai was used when a servant was reporting to his or her master that the job was complete. It is finished. Tetelestai was used when a 
priests examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless. It is finished. To tell us how it was used when an artist completed a picture or a manuscript, it is finished. But most importantly, Tetelestai was used by merchants to print a receipt stating that a debt was paid in full. And when Jesus proclaims that it is finished, he's saying that our debt has been paid in full and that our sins have been pardoned. So when he says, whom the Son sets free is free, indeed. Tetelestai, it is finished. No longer are we enemies of the Father. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That which was broken in the Garden of Eden, that fellowship has now been restored. We have been ransomed to live for Jesus. Because he finished, we are forgiven. Because he finished, we are set free. So what does that mean for us, church? That means we have been crucified with him. We are no longer slaves to sin. Because he said it is finished, we can say it is finished. Because I can take a stand knowing that I fight now from a position of victory, and I declare that sin, it is finished indeed. I can stand up to depression and proclaim it is finished indeed. I can stand up to anger and proclaim that it is finished indeed. I can stand up to envy and proclaim that it is finished indeed. I can stand up to jealousy and proclaim that it is finished indeed. I can stand up to drunkenness and proclaim that it is finished indeed. I can stand up to lust and proclaim that it is finished indeed. I can stand up to hatred and malice and, and gossip and deception and proclaim that it is finished indeed. Sin, you no longer rule and reign over me. I have the victory in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that life which I now live by, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Have your sins been pardoned? Has your record been expunged by Jesus? Real freedom requires a real pardon. Are you really free? See, some believe that they're free because they can go where they want to go. Some believe that they're free because they can eat what they want to eat. Some believe that they're free because they can wear what they want to wear. And some believe that their freedom comes from their possessions and their freedom comes from their appearance and their freedom comes from pleasure, not understanding that their possessions bound them by the cost and their appearance is bound by their peers and their, their pleasure is bound by their addiction. They think they're free. But is a person's freedom measured by what they can do? I submit to you this morning that I believe a person's freedom is measured by what they can't do. And the Bible tells me that I can't please God by myself. The Bible tells me that I can't free myself from sin. And the Bible tells me that I can't reconcile myself with God. See, but when Jesus was lifted up to the cross... He signed an executive order with his blood declaring that those who confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, they would be set free. Have you been set free this morning? See, if not, I'll respond to you like the, the Samaritan woman and tell you, come see a man who told me all that I've done. 
Is he not the Christ? And I tell you this morning, if you're still in bondage, come see a man. Because his name is Jesus. Come see a man who will set you free. Come see a man who will deliver you. Come see a man who will give you victory. Come see a man who loves you. Come see a man who wants the best for you. Come see a man. His name is Jesus. Real freedom requires discipleship. Real freedom requires humility. Real freedom requires a pardon. Do you have the real thing? I was reading an interesting article, and I close with this. Governor Rick Perry today granted a pardon on the basis of innocence for Josiah Sutton, exonerating the Houston man who was in prison for more than four years on faulty DNA evidence. Perry signed the pardon this morning after reviewing the recommendation of the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, which concluded this week that Sutton should receive a pardon for innocence. Based on the DNA testing, court determination and, unan and a unanimous decision of the board, it was appropriate and only decision for him to be set free, said Perry's spokeswoman. Sutton was free from prison last year after new DNA evidence excluded him as a suspect in a 1998 rape. Sutton, now 22, had been sentenced to 25 years in prison largely on DNA evidence processed by the Houston Police Department. Since retest excluded him in March 2003, he has lived in legal limbo, free from prison yet still convicted as a sex offender. The case against Sutton, who was 16 when he was charged, received new scrutiny last year after the Houston Police Department crime evidence lab was shut down. His case is one of almost 400 being retested in private labs to check the police department's work. See, here in this story, this young man, was pardoned because he was innocent. He was pardoned because the evidence was stacked in his favor. He was pardoned because there was people willing to work on his behalf to set him free because they knew he was innocent. But saints, let me explain something to you today. We don't deserve a pardon because we're guilty. All right, all right. And let me explain to you the evidence is stacked up against us and we're convicted, guilty as charged. See, because when, the, when God stacks up his righteous law against us, we need to understand that we all fall short. We understand for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because the evidence is stacked up against us. But so when we were convicted of sin, when we com were convicted to spend an eternity in hell, we deserve that conviction. But in spite of what we deserve, his grace and his mercy was poured out upon us that though we deserve to die, he demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we don't deserve a pardon, but we get one in Jesus. We don't deserve his grace, but we get one because of Jesus. We don't deserve his mercy, but we get one because of Jesus. Have your sins been pardoned this morning, church? There's someone here in bondage thinking that they're free because they can get up and leave the house when they want to. But that sin has them bound. That addiction has them bound. Has them dying on the inside. God is saying today, come unto me. 
I will give you real strength. Father, we do love you. And we adore you. And we thank you that this freedom that you've given us is something that's real. It's not temporary. You're, you're not an Indian giver where you give it and you take it back. But to tell us that tells us that you did something in the past that's still working itself out today. And Father, you have saved us from sin. But we need to draw near to you. For there is no salvation found in any other, but only in the name of Jesus. Father, real freedom is what we desire. Father, real freedom only comes from you. But real freedom requires discipleship. And real freedom requires us to be humble. But real freedom requires a real pardon. And that pardon is found in you, dear God. Father, may your word go out and touch us. May it transform us from the inside out. May we walk in this life with the victory that has been given us by Jesus. And I pray that we will not let Satan, we will not let our co-workers, we will not let our families, we will not let anybody steal our joy. Because only you give it and only you can take it away. And Lord, you have promised us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father, do a new thing here. Right now, dear God, free us from the bondage that we may live a life worthy of honor for you. We love you and we thank you. In the precious name of thy son and our eternal savior, Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen.